Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. Uh, good morning. It's like it's like having a COVID flashback. Um, this is not how I was planning to do this. It's Thursday morning. My doctor called me a few minutes ago and said, um, hey, you can't do your surgery Monday, but if you're free tomorrow. And that seemed like uh, the best option. So that's uh, what we're doing. I'm still at this point in the place, same place I've been. My anxiety level it has, has been a two um, about this, maybe a four now that this has happened. But my... Um, and my irritation level is high because I know what the recovery's like, and I'm not I'm not looking forward to that. Uh, it is a fairly routine procedure. I'm not super super uh, anxious about it. I told the guy the last time I was thinking about this um, that I had it done. Like I get that a valve can leak and you replace it, and then it's fine. The thing that I don't understand is you're going to stop my heart for like four or five hours, and then you're just going to like kick it back in. And uh, I don't know how that works. And he told me, this is what he told me. He said, uh, we just like pour some blood in it and it starts pumping. And I'm like, do I look stupid? Like, is there some reason you don't want to tell me what really happens? Because that's not the answer. Like, you could tell me like we shock it or there's like an on off button that we haven't told you guys about. Or like we take out a hammer and whack it a few times. I get that. But like just pouring some blood in it. Come on, man. So um, that's it. Presumably at this point, it worked. They got it cranked back up again, and I'm laying in a hospital bed. Uh, thanks for all your prayers. Um, thanks for setting up a meal train. We appreciate that. And uh, if you would like to come visit, you um, are welcome to uh, to do that. You can um, you can text Bobby Joe. Uh, they gave me this pillow the last time, and um, I had this ready for Sunday. And uh, you can come sign my pillow. There's Alan sign my pillow right there. There's Alan and uh, the Pritchett signed my pillow. And so I'd love to have you come by and sign my pillow. Before I get into the sermon, um, it's, this is a little obnoxious, me preaching um, because of heart surgery. And John was well capable of doing this. It's the last week in Romans. I really wanted to preach it. I was mostly done. And the things that I'm gonna, that I most fully developed and we're going to be I, are like coming from my heart. Um, and I didn't want to stick John with trying to figure out what to do with two days left, though he would have done great at it. So I know this is obnoxious, but it is what it is. This this week, last week's passage in hindsight was really the heart of Paul, the apostle. And this week's passage is really the heart of Paul, um, the pastor. And so we see his heart coming out for his people. And I've read the passage a bunch of times over the years. And I've always thought, man, I bet there's a lot in that because it's the most people that he mentions at the end of any letter. Um, but I've never really dug into it. And then I dug into it this week and, um, like I, I got a lot out of it. So I have three points and they rhyme. I think in 17 years I've never rhymed. And so I don't know, maybe like, maybe I'm getting better and I'll rhyme from now on. And some of you are like, if you're going to rhyme from now on, I'm going to throw up in the back of my mouth a little bit every Sunday when you rhyme, but so probably not, but maybe it, um, maybe it will. So let me read through this first section, um, and then I'll get to, uh, oh no, my points were, um, the, we see the affection of Paul, we see the protection of Paul, and we see the direction of Paul. Right? See, that's pretty good. 
Okay, Romans 16, 1 through 16. I'm going to read through this and then kind of go through them. I commend you, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Cancray, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she's been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, uh, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church that's in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who's worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. My beloved Stachys. Greet Apellus, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who bring to the, belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, the chosen in the Lord, and also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobas, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Okay, so Paul's affection. We see his affection for his people. I was talking to, um, after last week, Matt Noble about how Paul, I made a comment about how Paul can kind of come across um, as a jerk sometimes because he's just stern in the stuff that he says and he's intense about it and you can tell and maybe part of it is like if you, you know they say if you say one negative thing you have to say nine positive things or four positive things or something and so maybe we just, the negative sticks with us or maybe it's that um, I always tell people if you have to write something that's emotional and could be taken negative don't, or if you have to communicate it, don't, don't write an email. Um, some of my worst days as a pastor in life have come from email. Um, don't text it, like have a conversation with someone so you can tone it and they can see body language and all that stuff that goes along with it. And so we read it and so the negative maybe comes out more negative. And um, if, you're, if you've done the Enneagram, he's probably an eight, but maybe he's not, you know, maybe um, we just read it differently. So he starts in and says, I commend to you my sister, uh, our sister Phoebe, a, a servant of the church at Cancray, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need for you because she's been a patron of many and of myself. Phoebe is probably the one that brought the letter. He's in Corinth, writes this letter, um, sends it to Rome. Cancray is eight miles from Corinth. And so she, they know each other and she, brings, she probably brings the letter to Rome. She's a benefactor. So she, uh, Paul, she's supported Paul financially, supported the church financially. And many women are mentioned in this same light. I mean, women are just mentioned in lights that would be, would be, um, I, I don't know, they would stick out in that culture. We bring up this every Easter that the women are the first ones that saw the empty tomb and came back and told everybody, hey, Jesus rose from the dead. And women in those days could not testify in court. But God made the women the first one to see that the tomb was empty. And God um, and the writers put the women, God had them put the women in the Bible, even though that would be hard for people to believe given that day, um, because God loves women and values women and all that. And we see that um, in here, Lydia in the book of uh, Philippians, she is um, in Acts, we read that she was one of the first people to be a part of that church plant in Philippi and it met in her house and she was a merchant and, and she was probably the one that funded the thing. Um, in Luke 8, 
And this is Jesus' ministry. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom. And the twelve were with them, and some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, um, from whom the seven demons had gone out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, which is a, Herod was a big, he's the king of Israel, and his household manager's wife is funding Jesus' ministry. That's a huge deal. Um, and Susanna and mother, many others who provided for them out of their means. And so Phoebe fits in that category. She's um, a benefactor. Um, and she's a diaconess. She's a servant of the church at Kencray. Diaconess could just mean she's, a, she's, a, she's an Enneagram too. She's a helper. She's a servant. Or it could mean that she's a deacon. Like there's elders and there's deacons and she's an official deacon. And the way that it's worded that she's a diaconess of that church, that she's probably, that's it. She holds this position. Okay. Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their necks for my life. These two are mentioned in other places. Um, they were from Rome. Claudius kicked all the Jewish people out of Rome. They were Jewish. They went to Corinth and they were with Paul in Corinth and I think also in Ephesus. So he's had some time together with them. And we don't know when it, when it happened. May have been the riot in Ephesus, but they put it on the line. They risked their lives uh, for Paul. And that's like, there's something that happens when you risk your life for and with someone. Um, I remember years ago now being at Lowe's, uh, whatever the home supply place, uh, picking up wood for our deck and needing to get some nails for a nail gun. I don't know what I'm looking at. And some guy named Whitley, I think was his name, ran the back desk, the pro services desk or whatever. And so he came over to help me. And somehow he had a shirt on or something and talking, he was a vet. He'd been in Afghanistan, and I asked him, like, hey, what was that like? And he looked at me for a second, like, are you just being polite, or do you really want to know what that was like? And I'm, like, trying to give off the vibe. I really want to know what that's like. And so we talked for I don't know how long. But he ended up saying, like, I'm glad to be back. This is a comfortable job. It's good. But, man, I miss being with my guys, cold, hungry, dirty, and in danger in Afghanistan. Like there's nothing like that. And that binds you together. And so when Paul says they risked their lives for me, like there's something um, in that. And then he says, all the churches of the Gentiles are thankful for these guys. Like you guys in Rome have to understand what you, you may not get who they are, but you got to get it. Um, they trained Apollos, who's a major factor in all those Asian churches. And when he says that, I totally get it. Um, last November sometime, I think it was, uh, the nobles were pretty new to the church, and I'd heard their story about Matt's heart transplant and all the stuff that went on with that. And um, But all the times he'd gone into cardiac arrest and God had had someone right there to get him out of it. And then Ashley's story, which is just as powerful, you know, about what she went through. And I had them get up and share that story in part just because I wanted you, the church, to know, man, you got to know these guys. Like, you got to understand what God's done and spend some time with them. Last week, I mentioned Pat Addix, and I mentioned her because I want you to get to know her because here's this woman who has years and years of faithfulness and following the Lord, and she is miles and miles deep. And like, you need to... I don't want to say take advantage of that because that sounds bad, but like you need to get to know her. She's a blessing to our church and you can be a blessing to her. So, and that's what I feel when he talks about Priscilla and Aquila this way. Greet my beloved Epinetus. So 
who is the first convert to Christ in Asia, which is, I don't know, minor Christian celebrity, I guess. Um, beloved is the word agape tone. So agape, the word, the deepest word for love, and agape tone, my, my beloved. Like that's, there's a depth in the love that he feels for Epinetus. And he also says that about Ampliatus and Stachys and Persis. They're all his beloved. And Mary, who worked hard for you. Um, and I, I get this. Last week, I talked about Kelly redoing the schedule uh, for November, the children's ministry schedule. And she had seven folks on the schedule that weren't even here a year ago at the church and seven folks that hadn't come kind of out of COVID yet that are now serving. But, but I made the point of saying that let some people that have been over serving, that have been pulling more than their weight in the McManuses and Jason Wright and the Cantrells and, and Matt and Kelly um, and probably others, you know, but that's what I was saying. They have worked hard for you. And like, you need to know that they have worked hard for you and appreciate it. And that's what he's saying. Um, greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners, right? Again, this is like putting your, your, um, your, uh, your life on the line for somebody. We've done time together. Like you go up the river together. This is like Shawshank, right? These people are tight because, and I'm not sure if they did time in the same place, but, and that means something. I said this last week about the underground church in China. Those pastors don't go to seminary. They're not qualified by their seminary education, but by their time in jail being persecuted for being a Christian in China. And, uh, and that's something similar to what happened um, in this church. And they're, they are, it says they're well-known among the apostles. This is a super controversial thing, whether Junia is a guy or a girl. I think it's a girl. I think Andronicus and Junia are probably married the way that that's written. And... Um, and the apostles is probably a broader group of missionaries, but it's like, they're not well-known. They're outstanding. They are apostles. They're outstanding among the apostles, and they are some of the best missionaries that you'll meet. And Pliotus, my beloved in the Lord, Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, my beloved Stachys, Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Another translation of that said, whose fidelity has stood the test. Like, you can count on this guy, you know? And um, sometimes people come from other churches and you get a note from their previous pastor. Or I'll send a note to a pastor like, dude, you got to know something about this person that you're getting because they're amazing, you know? And that's what he's doing with um, Apelles. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus and those who in the Lord belong to the family of Narcissus. This is kind of interesting. Aristobulus is very likely, so it's the family. It's not necessarily Aristobulus, but it's very likely the grandson of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the king of Israel when Jesus was born. He was crazy, but he was the super powerful, um, got so much done king. And those kings, because they, the Rome appointed them and they were trying to get into Rome's good graces, they would send their kids to Rome to boarding school, basically, so that they could get connected with people in Rome. And so Aristobulus, his grandson, went to school in Rome. And when he was in boarding school at Rome, he went to school with a kid named Claudius who ended up being the emperor of Rome. So like they're totally, these people are well connected in social circles in Rome and some people in his family had, are in the church um, in Rome. Similar with Narcissus, there is a freedman named Narcissus that had uh, Claudius's ear and they think that that's who they're referring to. And so you've got people that are, they're super well connected in that church. Um, greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa, uh, those words mean dainty and delicate, um, but he says they are workers in the Lord. Greet beloved Persis, who's worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and also his mother, who's been a mother to me. And this is interesting. So let's start with his mother. 
Um, how many of you had a second mother growing up? Like you had a friend's mom that was kind of like your mom and she was, you called her mom. And, but you have a deep affection for whoever that is. And that's what he's saying about Rufus's mother. Like she was like a mother to me. And then this about Rufus. So Simon of Cyrene is the guy that carried Jesus' cross to Calvary when he couldn't carry it any longer. Uh, when Mark and, and the God, I can't remember how many of the gospels record Simon of Cyrene carrying the cross. Mark is the only one that says Simon of Cyrene, father of Alexander and Rufus. He's the only one that mentions his kids. And Mark's gospel is written specifically to Rome. And so this is what they think and why you would mention Rufus, that Rufus is the son of Simon of Cyrene. And Mark mentions him because he knows that Rufus is there and they know who Rufus is uh, when he writes his gospel. And so that's probably who um, Paul is, is speaking about when he writes this um, in this part of Romans. So again, another minor Christian celebrity. And then Asyncritus and Phlegon and Hermes and Patrobus and Hermas and the brothers who are with them and Philologus and Julia Nereus and Olympus and the saints who are with them. And so let me say three things about th this like greeting thing. So this is three sub points in my first point. My last two points aren't going to be worth much because they weren't going to be anyway, but then I just didn't have time. So the church in Rome is, a, but the church in Rome is incredibly diverse. Nine of the 26 are women. That's a big deal. Like in that day, four of those women are mentioned to have worked hard. They're the only people in the passage that are mentioned. Are mentioned. The only people that have been mentioned are hard workers are women. You can do with that whatever you want to, you know, Priscilla is mentioned several other times in the New Testament and is a fellow worker. Junia, again, is like, was likely one of the apostles of the church as a missionary. Phoebe is a deacon of the church. It's a big deal. There are in that list, there are Greeks and there are Romans and there are Jews. Um, they're likely slaves. Uh, Ur Ampliatus, Urbanus, Hermes, Philologus, and Julia were common names for slaves from inscriptions according to that time. And so that's super likely, along with super well-connected people of Aristobulus and Narcissus and Rufus. And that was kind of unique in that day and in ours. And that's what the gospel does, is the gospel levels the playing field and everybody is the same when they come before um, what do I say? The ground is level at the foot of the cross, you know? And Christianity globally is the most diverse religion. It's found in the most places among the most people groups um, in the world. It's not limited to one part. We think of it as like a Western thing, but it's not. It came out of the Middle East. It went East and West and South. Um, now it's growing fastest in South America and Africa and Southeast Asia. And we just don't even know about it because we think it's declining in the West. Um, but yeah, it's the diversity is is um, emphasized in this list that he gives. Here's the second thing I see: the mission of delivering the gospel has bound these people together in a deep way. Right? They are they are dear friends. They are agapetown. That they have a love for each other. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. They've worked together for the gospel. They've risked their lives for each other. They've done time in prison together for the sake. Of the gospel and that the gospel Christ is what has bound them together I used to say this um, frequently like in this room right now like the only reason this group of people is ever going to be together is because of Christ and what Christ has done for us and how Christ has led us and there's something beautiful about that um, and something in it that should draw us together there's an intensity in his language and honestly in their care for each other that as I was thinking through this this week I think we could have more of that as a church, you know, like a greater sense of urgency and intensity, like has the mission of pursuing Jesus 
really seeking to live with him for him when there are a million things in our way and then believing that God is at work in us and through us to reach the people around us. Like, has that bound us together the way it's bound these folks together? And, and I think not as much as I would have wished it had. Um, I'm a NC State fan by choice. Uh, I moved down here 25 plus years ago and decided to cheer for state. I'm not a native state fan, so I don't have the same bond with state fans that state fans have with each other. Like I'm a native Green Bay Packers fan. I grew up with the Packers of the 70s and 80s. We understand each other. State fans understand each other. And what, what are state fans bound together by? What are they bound together by? You're bound together by one word, suffering. It's suffering and you know it. Uh, and but like it binds you together and that's kind of a, like what has happened with this church is like the willingness to sacrifice for something greater. Like even this past week, MJ Morris and then the basketball team, all sorts of suffering. Um, and, and state fans are like pessimistic as a defense mechanism against their, da their hopes being dashed again. <laughs> uh, and that's fine. But, but state fans may be more bound together than we are as a church. And that would be a gigantic problem. Because Christ and the mission that Christ has put us on should bind us together in much deeper ways. I even thought about our mission statement, helping people come to know and follow Jesus. And I think that lacks urgency. And it may be for a reason. We tend to connect with people um, who are going to shy away if someone comes on too strong. Like we tend to... to um, to bring in, and, and this is good, this is good, you know, people that might be a little cynical or are averse to hype and really sensitive to it, and so we don't want to do that, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be urgent about what Christ has called us to, of, of helping people come to know him, and then helping us, each other, come to um, follow him, because we all need it, like, we all need help, we all need help, and we can lack urgency just in coming to follow him better. Our guys were together this past Tuesday, this guy's group that came out of our home group, and we were re-figuring out what we're gonna do next. And I just was like, hey, before we do that, why don't we just take a second and ask like, why are we doing, why are we here? Why do we meet like this? Why are we doing this in the first place? And so that's always a scary question. And, but the answer was common. And it was like, if we don't, or we're not intentional, about focusing our conversations on the, on the gospel and what Jesus is doing in our lives and don't create a place for it, we'll never do it. We're not just going to do it. Our lives are too busy. We don't want to deal with stuff that Christ wants us to deal with. Like we need a place and a people that are going to, to push us and encourage us and challenge us and all those things. Um, we need it. You need the help of the church. And the people around us who don't need, don't know Christ, they, they need more than help. They need Christ's help. Uh, and we're not urgent enough about that. And I don't know if it's because we're scared or we're apathetic or we're too busy or we're not prepared. Um, but like, when's the last time you prayed with a level of desperation about somebody that you care about that's in your life that doesn't know Jesus? And if you can't remember, that's a problem. Like that's not, that's not okay. Um, and this type of, they have this type of community because of their intensity towards this common mission, right? And community, community develops when people collectively commit themselves to a cause greater than their own convenience. So we got rhyming and alliteration in the same sermon. I don't even know what's going on here. Um, but they have a cause to sacrifice 
for, like that's bigger than themselves, you know? And that can happen these days at a school board meeting. Um, I don't know, in a ways at, a, at CrossFit, uh, at a gym, at, in a political party, when you're mad at the same neighborhood HOA about something, yelling at the refs from the side, cheering for a team, you know? Uh, a commitment to a nonprofit, whatever it is, but nothing, nothing can weave it together like a commitment to Jesus in the freedom of the grace of God that he's given us in Christ. They're fellow workers. They've done time together. They've risked their lives for this because it's so important. It's what he's called them together to um, in that matters. Here's a third thing that I see in that first list that every every Christian needs a pastor. Every Christian needs a pastor. And that's not I'm not saying that just because you need me as a pastor. We have John's pastor. Like we've got elders who are pastors. We've got ministry staff who pastor people. Um, but man, I, I feel this passage when he says, um, dear friends, and the word is, is beloved, agape tone. Uh, I, that connects to me. And I'm not great at expressing emotion, particularly love. Um, uh, and... Uh, lately I've been, I've been digging into stuff about like attachment styles because of some conversations with my sister and it's messing with me. Um, but when I, from time to time on a Sunday morning, it's not great language. I'll say just cause it's, you know, cause it's not a huge church. I know everybody. And I say, I know where the bodies are buried, which means I know your stories. I don't know. No one's ever actually told me that they buried a body. If you've buried a body, I, I probably don't want to know about that. Okay. Like the closest thing we've come to burying bodies is when um, when Scott Haith called us and said, hey, I need you to get my car back from a crack dealer because Sandra stole his car and, and traded it to the crack dealer for some crack so that the crack dealer could take his kid to the doctor the next morning because crack dealers are people too, yo. And so... And so we did it, like right around the corner at the Murder Burger or whatever the family circus or whatever that place is called. Um, that's what we did. Uh, but sometimes I'll stand in the back um, during the first set of songs and just look at people and families and think about uh, your stories and think about sacrifices you've made things about hardships you've been through think about like ways that god has grown you think about things that you've come through and where you are now compared to where you then or where you are now that there is a then but there's just a now right now and man like sometimes i just tear up when that happens because the weight of it um and it's sacred to be in those places you know, it's sacred to know those things. Um, I had lunch with someone this week who they moved on and they're kind of someplace else, but he doesn't have a pastor and he really needs one. And that's fine. Like, I get it. But like, I'm still his pastor. Um, and we've known each other for a long time. Uh, and that happens with a lot of people who've left, who don't land someplace and I think you still need a pastor. Um, and that, that probably does bug me when people leave and, and they can take some time off, but they don't engage. They, they've served here in super meaningful ways. They'd be on that list, but they're not using those gifts in another church. And I get it. The church is, I don't know if you know this, but church is hard sometimes. You know, I get that you need to take a step back and you need a break and there's church stuff. I get that. 
Um, but then I also get people need to not give up on church because it's the bride of Christ and people need to get back in the game. I thought about this during the week and thought this is too cheesy, but then I thought, and it rang too true for me not to share it. So in the first Top Gun movie, when Goose has died and Maverick has been, Tom Cruise has been exonerated for that. And then he's having a struggle trying to get him back in the cockpit and engaging. And then they, they send uh, they send them over to the Indian Ocean and the Russians, the MiGs and all that stuff. And Iceman is out there fighting them and they need another plane. And Maverick gets called in and he gets caught in the jet wash of the MiG and it's like flashback to Goose. And he's like, it's no good, it's no good. I'm disengaging. And I realized I'm the guy on the ship with the cigar, the bald guy, this sweaty and who's like, 10 minutes, this thing will be over in two minutes. Get back in there, Maverick. And I realized like, I was kind of jokey about that with myself at first, and I don't come across like that. Uh, but on the inside, I'm, I'm like that all the time. <laughs> like, hey, this is too important. Last week when I said, we got these kids, every single week we get to minister to these kids, every single week. And if you're a parent, you should bring your kids every single week. I got a thing that I forgot to put in here because I ran out of time from a local pastor that said the number one thing that is going to be the predictor of if your kid sticks with this is it how consistent you come to church. If it matters to you, it'll matter to them. If it doesn't matter to you, they know it. They know it. I mean, it's not, it's just like the thing that's most predictable. And so we, we get to minister to them. And every week is one less week that we're going to have where they're going to bring them. And we have the chance to love them in the name of Jesus and to teach them about Jesus. And we should be so urgent about that. We should be so urgent about um, the people that God has put in our path and looking for ways that God might use us. And I know that's hard and it takes a long time and longer these days because people just need, they're burned and they have questions and all that stuff. But like this, is, we need to get back into the game, you know? And um, I should probably be more vocal about that. I thought this week about um, the pastor in Columbus before I moved down here, got transferred down here with a job from Columbus, Ohio, 27 years ago. Yeah. And, um, had re-engaged my faith at a church up there and it was Pastor Steve. And I'd started teaching. I was on a rotation of teachers that taught these college and career groups on Friday nights. This is a group of like 30, 40 people. This is kind of like preaching. And, um, and Steve told a friend of mine, Pastor Steve did, he said, watch Ramsey. He's going to be a pastor someday. And he didn't say his teaching is like really good. He said, he's got a pastor's heart. And I have no idea what that means. But this week made me think maybe that's what it means. And maybe everybody who is a Christian needs somebody that feels that way about them and cares about them and prays for them is going to chase them down um, and encourage them and challenge them and cry with them. And we pastor each other. You know what I mean? Like when you're engaged in a church, that happens. But like that's what happens when you're a part of a church. And um, that's what I sense in this community of people. I started thinking that in the membership class now, I'm going to say, hey, you sign this piece of paper. I'm your pastor. We're your pastors until you find another one. So you can leave. Like it's not the Hotel of California. You can check out, but you have to check in someplace else or I'm going to hunt you down um, until you do. Okay. At the end, he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Uh, that's a thing that they did. I was going to wear my free hugs t-shirt if it was Sunday, and tell you to hug me if you're not sick. But now it doesn't matter. I'm wearing my Line and Kugel t-shirt. Right. Okay. Uh, but 
like he has an affection for these people that he wants them to have for each other. All right, that's the affection. This is my big point. It's 31 minutes in, holy cow. So the protection of Paul. And so I'll make this quick. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them, for such persons don't serve the Lord our Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deserve, deceive the hearts of the naive. I think this fits together because he knows they have such a good thing. He knows they have that community, that concern for each other, that mission. He doesn't want anything to screw it up. And so he knows something can, and it always happens. And so someone's going to come in with some type of doctrine that's going to divide the thing. But when he says they don't serve Christ, but they serve their own appetite, I, here's what I think about this and what most false doctrines are, are like some way to exalt me. Even putting a doctrine out there that goes contrary is a way for me to create controversy and, and bring attention to myself. And it ends up being about me instead of about the Lord. And in all the things that he's taught us in the letter to the Romans, particularly there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we don't have to go after all those false affirmations because we have the primary affirmation of the Father because of what the Son has done for us. And if we have that, if we're living out of that, then um, we don't need that. And, and the people that come in to divide, whether they know it or not, are, are probably working from some way of creating that they want a false affirmation that says, look at me, I'm smarter than everybody or whatever it is and go against something that's been taught. And I would put it this way, that we will go to war against grace because we secretly love the law. And there's just a part of us, our flesh, that hates grace because it says you could not do it and you needed Christ to do something for you. And there's so much freedom in that, but that's going to be a war. I'll do this one last time, right, for Romans, but we... We all start with law, and then we hear about Jesus, and we're like, grace, that makes sense, but I must still have to do something. So he did his part, and I do my part. And then we realize, well, that can't be it. So we're justified by grace, but maybe we're sanctified by law. So he did it. He got me right with God, but now i got to get my act together. And then you go further, and you might be like 10, 15, 25 years into your walk with Jesus before you realize, I can't even sanctify myself now, in Christ, he has to do that for me. And then it's just grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon... It's all grace. You have no control, and you're completely free in that. And it's beautiful, but it's difficult to stay in there. And I think that's what he's saying is like, beware and know that underneath that, the motivation is almost always going to be some desire to exalt themselves using some false doctrine. Or the doctrine is going to push us back to law and away from grace and protect what you have. And don't let that happen. Um, he goes on with that. For your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And then the last um, bit, which I call the direction of Paul. But I just needed a word that rhymed. It kind of is. He's directing them towards the Father. But, you know. Uh, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings that have been made to all, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith, the only wise God be glory forevermore through Christ Jesus. Amen. And what he's doing is pointing them towards the Father, to him who is able to strengthen you. Um, I don't know if that's like, a you know, sometimes you have a passive aggressive prayer that you hope someone hears, and maybe that's it. Like, hey, to him... Here's where your strength comes from. God is able to strengthen you. It makes me think of the passage in 2 Corinthians, like the thorn in the flesh, and that the Lord said to him, my grace, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Like, 
this is about the Lord strengthening us and not us doing it on our on our own. And he leans into that at the end. So I, he's able to strengthen you according to my gospel, according to the preaching, and according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. Like the strength is going to come from the grace of God, um, from the preaching about Jesus, the revelation of this mystery. And then he says about the mystery that it's been kept secret for long ages, but now it's been disclosed. Um, through the prophetic writings according to the command of the eternal God and so God has now made it known and this is where we find um, our strength and then he says to bring about the obedience of faith and even that language is like obedience makes me think of law did we go through all this grace just to get the law but he says the obedience of faith he doesn't say the obedience of the flesh he doesn't say the obedience of law he says the obedience of faith and that's what it is to follow um, Jesus in a grace relationship with Jesus to the only wise God to, to God be glory forevermore not to us we don't have to exalt ourselves to God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ amen so uh, here's what I'm gonna do um, I didn't do the stand thing at the beginning so we're gonna do that at the end so I'm gonna have you stand and uh, I'm gonna read this I'm gonna say this is the word of the Lord you're gonna say thanks be to God now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings that have been made to all, known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. This is the word of the Lord.